created us in very unique ways as men and women, as people of different colors, heights, and sizes. You have a purpose, and that purpose is wonderful, is glorious. We ask your word to come to us in the power of your spirit. Speak to each and every one of us and reveal the truth in your word to us. Connect us, Lord, in a profound way to the purpose for which you've created us. The vision that you have for the kingdom that is so dear to your heart. Thank you, Father, for answering our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Friends, again, I am to teach on the theme, Who Am I? As a way of reflecting on the past, I wish to remind you that last Sunday, we looked at the various expressions of the question of identity. And we also paid some attention to the problem of identity crisis. Today, I intend to look at at least four issues. Number one is what is identity and what is self? So this will be a question of definitions. And number two, I'll look at 11 facts about identity and self. And number three, I will look at the question Jesus asked and his moment of interaction with his disciples according to the Gospel of Matthew, which was actually our New Testament lesson for last Sunday. And then I will share with you an experiment, which could be a social experiment, that will encourage you as a homework to practicalize and find some results for further conversations on the theme of who am I? Today, we have looked at the Old Testament lesson, the book of Jeremiah chapter 1, and we look also at Third John, which were the Old and the New Testament lessons for the day. There is a common issue that is reflected in both of these lessons. The first in Jeremiah chapter, chapter 1 still reflects about the identity of Jeremiah and the self of identity. The two are clearly portrayed in the response of Jeremiah to his call and to the response of God unto Jeremiah. But we also find in the New Testament, in the letter of John, the first letter of John, chapter 3, also the issue of dealing with identity, who we are. And how are we perceived by others in the world? In both instances, I will share with you confidently that the understanding of self by oneself or by the perception of others was very jaundiced, was very, very reductionistic, was never the same with what God saw. Let us look at the question of definition. But as a way of introducing the question of definitions, 
I want to say that the question, who am I, has at least two dimensions in dealing with definitions. It's about identity and self. What is identity? Please write it down. In a broad sense, identity is used to refer to one's social face. Please underline that, social face. Identity is used to refer to one's social face. What do I mean by social face? And that's why I ask you to underline towards social face. It is about how one perceives how one is perceived by others. Your perception of how you are perceived by others. That is why I said identity is your social face. It's a perception by yourself of how people perceive you. And I say self is generally used to refer to one sense of who I am and what I am. So self is used to refer in a very general sense to one's own sense of who he is or she is or who he or she, what she has. Who am I? Who I am and what I am. That is referring to self. For every one of us, friends, no matter your race, no matter your sex, no matter your age, there is a way people perceive you. And it's important for you to know how those people perceive you. There is also the fact about who you are and what you are. And that is a question that you carefully reflect on your own self and all the sources that speak to you about who you are, which in the course of the teachings, I will make reference to. I want you to stay with me, friends. Because the theme, who am I, is tied to your destiny. It's tied to the purpose of God. It's tied to the establishment of the kingdom of God. And you being an instrument for that great picture of God's mind, the heartbeat of God himself. And I want to share with you 11 important facts about your ident identity and yourself. Number one is that it's important to be aware of how you are perceived by others, even when that perception is often wrong. It's, however, more important to have a sense of who you actually are and what you are, and to work hard at becoming a better you than who people want you to be. In actual fact, if our education, educational system from the kindergarten to, to from the pre-K to, to all the way to college education can be strongly tailored to deal with the issue of self, to enable people discover themselves 
in the right way they are as they've been created to be and that by that fact to know where to channel their energies and their interests to becoming better of themselves life will be more meaningful to many many more people in fact monday morning will hardly be a sad day for you you will be most excited to wake up on a monday morning to be headed to your place of work the conflict and the crisis many of us are going through is that our destinies our true selves which ought to enable us to fulfill our destiny has been put aside and we have all been educated many times to be something else. And there is a serious disconnect from your true self to what you're doing. In fact, most often we are pressured to becoming some other people that other people want us to be other than being our true selves in the way we were created to be. That is the major point I'm emphasizing on the first point I raised. That it's important to be aware of how you are perceived by others, even when that perception is often wrong. It's, however, more important to have a sense of who you actually are and what you are, and to work hard at becoming a better you than who people want you to be. Number two, please write it down also. Self-knowledge means knowledge of limits as well as knowledge of potentialities. Self-knowledge means knowledge of limits as well as of potentialities. Friends, what I'm pointing out in the second idea I'm sharing with you is that Limits in this case is not in a, it is in a negative sense. It is in a positive sense and in reference to what you can never be able to change. Which is related to your identity and related to yourself. Seven things you will never be able to change. And that is understanding it as a limitation not in a negative sense, but in a positive sense. Let me give you an example. If you're a black guy, you can never be a white guy, no matter how much you try or vice versa. You may change your accent. <laughs> like my, my sister met me at the airport and mentioned last Sunday and said, you have an accent. My accent came to me as a way of socializing. It became a part of my identity, but it may not necessarily be a part of myself in the real sense of it. Because that accent could change, but though the accent changes, it doesn't change my real me. In fact, the sister pointed out to me that I have an accent she also has an accent. Every human being has an accent. An accent should therefore not be seen in a derogatory sense. It is a customized way of what each of us speak. That is what an accent really means. 
the part of my smile towards my sister is how ignorant she was. She was very, very ignorant. He had a good feeling. I told him he has an accent. He is not up to me. I am different in the way I speak. The same color of skin like me, <laughs> going through the same, some challenges of society. That as a black guy, I walk through like, the streets, I may be jogging, I can be gone down for no reason. God forbid. But that's the reality we face. And for some of us that have been privileged to travel from different parts of the world to the other, interacting with various kinds of culture, the story is the same. Black guy, no matter how much you try to change your accent, no matter how you imagine that you are, go do plastic surgery, change your nose like one of our brothers. You are a black guy. Nothing can change that. You've got to live with that with joy and excitement. Accept the wisdom of God in making you who you are. So is it with my white brother and friend. Yes, I've met some white brothers and friends who also want to be like black guys. They want to crack the kind of jokes, dress the same way. I met a white lady who is crazy about a black guy. Not about me in particular. She was just my colleague anyway, friend. And she ended up marrying a black guy. For that white sister, white people disgust her. She is tired of them in her own expressions. Whether she's true or false or she's right or wrong, it's not my part to judge that. But the point I'm bringing to you is that as a black lady, as a white guy, it is not possible for you to change that identity, that social face that you have by the color of your skin and the features of your body and your socializing pattern, and the genes that are inside of you. So that is a limitation. And that has to be acknowledged and has to be celebrated. Friends, I'm leading you to somewhere. I want you to stay with me. Because we are talking about the whole church, taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And that is the key component of the kingdom of God. But God in his wisdom has created the races of the world. But there's chaos in the human race today. Where some identities are valued more than others. Where some persons want to bleach their faces. Some of our black sisters really want to change their complexions. So they are doing skin erosion with all kinds of terrible cosmetics. Trying to change the color of their skins. Trying to change their accents. Some changing their neighborhoods so they could be accepted somewhere. Please stop the craze, stop the talk, stop the struggles. There are certain things you cannot change, not in the wrong sense, but in the good sense. Point number three. The value of identity and knowledge of self is that with it, it comes purpose. Please, this is very important. This is very, very important. The value of identity 
and knowledge of yourself is that with that comes your purpose. No matter how terrible your upbringing was, no matter how terrible you feel about your parents, it was not your choice of your own decision to choose your parents for you, to choose the context of your social condition. It was not your choice of who to become in terms of the racial belonging. No Chinese is a Chinese by choice. You are an African by divine decision, by divine initiative. And the wisdom of God lies in God being your creator, your manufacturer. <laughs> Hallelujah. He knew the purpose for which he made you. And that purpose is connected to your identity, is connected to yourself. Point number four. Your identity, your social face, in other words, is seen and sometimes should be seen as a mask that at best gives a very faint idea of yourself. It could be somehow altered. It could be somehow distorted. Sometimes there could be a huge struggle to even discard it. But often it doesn't work perfectly to the end. That is the crisis we have in what we call transgender initiatives. Where you want to change yourself from being a man to being a woman. If you look at those persons very carefully, you find that something is missing somewhere. I speak with no intention of disrespect, but I speak with the clarity of putting the facts as they are. Point number five. Yourself is inalienable from your purpose. It is your major essence and your source of greatest value, influence, impact, wealth, and happiness. Tell me any of us here who does not need this to happen in your life. Don't you want to make an impact? Don't you want to have the greatest value? Don't you want to have influence? Don't you want to have wealth? Don't you need happiness? All of these are intertwined to yourself. And that is why when you seek to distort yourself or to become some other person, you lose purpose. You lose your major essence. You lose your source of greatest value. You lose your influence. You lose your impact. You lose your wealth. You lose your happiness. And the best you can become is second to that very image you're mimicking and trying to become. You can never be that. So why abandon your you to become some other person when you will never succeed in so doing? Point number six. A disclosure of yourself is a disclosure of your purpose. And this often attracts hostility, envy and hatred. Please take that down. I said, a disclosure of yourself is a disclosure of your purpose. And this often attracts hostility, envy, and hatred. 
Give an example of the story of Joseph. When Joseph shared his dreams, he was sharing his purpose. He was disclosing his true self. And what did he get from his siblings? He got hatred. He got envy. He got all kinds of terrible things. He narrowly missed death. Point number seven. Your closest allies and those you spend your time with should be aware of your purpose and should be comfortable with it. Those you spend your greatest time with, your spouse, your family members, your loved ones, those very close to you, should be clearly aware of what your purpose is and should be comfortable with it. They shouldn't criticize you for it. They shouldn't find fault in it. They shouldn't tell you it's not good enough. You should be like them. No. You've got to be your you, but a very perfect version of that you. And your job for the rest of your life is to polish your you, to take the debris and take the drawers and take everything that is painting you and deforming your you to being something else. That's what education is meant to be. That's what it should be polishing, being at best at, executing that for the rest of your life. On number eight, I am encouraging you to eat today to get away from all persons and to get out of your life whoever is opposed to yourself and to your purpose. Get them out. Get out of their lives because they will only seek your unhappiness and your frustration. And once you do not fulfill your purpose, it were better you were not born into this life. Point number nine. Do your best to fulfill yourself, which is your purpose, and to resist any attempt by humans, by systems, by demons, from derailing yourself and purpose. It is your life and the best you've got to hold to. I'm drawing to an end to the important points regarding purpose, sorry, identity and self. Point number 10, yourself is a hidden mystery. This is so important. Your true self is a hidden mystery that God and you know best. And will continue to unravel for the rest of your life. It takes revelation for any other person to grasp yourself and to believe in you, especially at the initial stages of your self-disclosure. You, in your real you, are a hidden mystery. Only God knows you in details. And at best, in the present time, if you've discovered who you are, only you and God know it best. For any other person to know your true you, it is purely based on revelation. Especially at the initial stages of your self-disclosure and manifestation. It's so difficult for people to believe in you. And that is not because you are not good enough or you don't have value. It is a normal process of life because they don't know who you are. And sometimes even trying to get a glimpse of who you are. It annoys them and makes them feel little in themselves. 
So the best is to destroy you so you get out of the way. So you don't stand as a colossus or as an imposter before them. And point number 11, at least there are three categories of persons that will relate with yourself and your identity in the presence of your life. Three categories at least of people will be relating with you. And some already relating with you now. Those that will catch the vision of who you are and what you have and will love you for it and will be willing to die for you to an extent. They will just love you for knowing who you are. Your life may have touched them in different ways. As a pastor, through you, God may have brought healing to them. Oh, something has happened in their lives. They have been touched in a profound way. They will just love you. They will just like you. They just want to be with you. They want to hear you. They just want to relate with you. They want to do everything possible to ensure that you continue to be the best God has called you to be. That is one category. Number two category is about people who really will receive a touch from God through you. They will know this is something unique that I'm experiencing. But they will show you a sense of ingratitude. But they will also be nonchalant towards you. They know who you are. They've benefited from the blessings of God, the gifting of God, the purpose of God walking through your life. This could be in the office. This could be wherever in life. Whatever be your profession. But I've used the pastoral example. But there will be no challenge. They will be different. They don't care much about that. And so what? Those are persons that are missing an opportunity. In the case of Jesus' life, those are the people Jesus asked about. Where are the nine? Were they not ten that were cleansed? Where are the nine? Because if your life has been touched and changed in a very profound way, there is a connection God has for the purpose of your life. If somebody brought meaning to you, he was an agent of God. Not an agent discarded, but perhaps an agent that still has more assignments to accomplish in your life. And category number three are people that their job is to ensure that the showing up of your social face, the showing up of your gifting means a death call on your life. They will want to blackmail, they will want to attack, they want to ridicule, they want to undermine, they want to do all kinds of things. Your name is a problem to them. They may want to pretend in one way or the other, but they really, really, really cannot change. You will find betrayals, you will find disappointments, you will find all kinds of things that will happen. You will try to please them, but you will never be able to please them. You do not have to hate them. That is how they are. That is how the three categories at least will relate with you. These are issues. And the last point I want to mention in the facts about your sovereign identity is that the greatest calamity that can befall anybody is to die without discovering and fulfilling oneself and, in essence, his or her purpose. That is the greatest calamity that can happen to any human being. When you are not able 
to discover who you are and the fact that you die without fulfilling your purpose. It is terrible, friend. And I want to round up this teaching reflecting on what Jesus said. Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. He asked them a question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? That was a question to discover his social face. Hallelujah. He needed to know his social face, not because he didn't know, but he needed to give an opportunity to the expression of his social face, at least the grasping of those around him. But he knew who he was in terms of his identity, in terms of himself, because he uses the words, who do people say the son of man is? The son of man. There are controversies about the use of the expression, the son of man. But it has been clearly pointed out that the expression son of man is among the most important symbols used by Jesus himself to describe his vocation and that of those whom he surrounded or someone to be with him. It was about his vocation. He knew who he was. He had assembled the people to himself to be a part of the accomplishment of the purpose of God. In pulling him to fulfill the purpose of God through him, they will be fulfilling the purpose of God for their lives as well. That's why it's so important. When you find a man that is impacting your life, a woman that's impacting your life to become a better you, you don't cut off the bridges with that person. Because in you fulfilling the purpose of God through that person, you will be fulfilling the purpose of God in your life somehow, someday, and some moment. That's why I said, those that know you and the worth in your life and you've impacted their lives and they become nonchalant and ungrateful and missing an opportunity. It's so dangerous. But Jesus asked that question, who do people say I am? Did he care about how people felt about him? Not really so. Was it needful for them to know how people felt about him? He needed to bring the conversation because he'll be handing over the baton to these people. They will continue the work from where he will stop in his human revelation. They were important pieces to the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. And he needed to expose them to the question of self and the question of social face, identity. It is not surprising, friends, that they proffered all kinds of answer. They replied, Simon, some said John the Baptist, some said Elijah, some said still Jeremiah, or some of the prophets. <laughs> then Jesus brings the question home, who do you say I am? Who do we say I am? Everywhere was dead silent. Only Peter rules to the occasion. You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Friends, the passage I've read, the principles I've given to you, the, the facts previously laid out, are all drawn from certain scriptural references. And these truths are loaded here. It was about the kingdom. The discussion was all directed towards the kingdom. It was a build up onto an exposition of the importance of these individuals related to the identity and their true self in the fulfillment of the purpose of God in the kingdom. Friends, the kingdom of God is the heartbeat of God. Taking the, the whole church, taking the whole gospel to the whole world is about the kingdom of God. It's about what will bring the greatest fulfillment. It's the reign of God overtaking every other political system, every other empire that has ever been and will ever be. The purpose of God is for you to infiltrate the structures and establish the interest of God. That was the case with Jeremiah. Before I knew if you knew your mother's woman, I knew you and ordained you a prophet of the nation. Don't say, with little child, you have a jaundice understanding of who you are. I will send you. I put my word into your mouth to root out, to pull down, to overthrow, to destroy, but to build also and to plant. I will continue the conversation on identity. And today, this exposition should leave you with certain questions you should ask yourself. Building them all on those 12 important facts relating to self and identity. You may not have had time to write down the questions. I would encourage you to listen to this teaching again and take clear cognizance of the issues I've raised. Because again, I wish to emphasize, you've got to know who you are your feet into the purpose of God in the fulfillment of his heartbeat, which is the kingdom. The kingdom is beyond the church. The kingdom is more embracing than the church. But the church is an instrument for the establishment of the kingdom of God. If you miss out as an important piece in God's agenda of executing his kingdom, you will be missing out big time in the purpose of God that has been established in your true self. Now comes the serial experiment as your assignment for the week. This week, as you interact telephonically or otherwise, or as you interact with people maintaining social distancing or following the rules as are required, try to portray yourself in a different light from your identity and see how people will relate with you. If you're a very educated person, speak like you have very bad education, like as if you never went to school. Mangle your English, speak anyhow. If you're one that dresses very nicely, try at least one day to dress very shabbily. Your shirt should not be pressed, it should be rumpled. <laughs> See how people are going to talk to you. See how people are going to relate with you. In the end, what I want to portray is to let you know that people's perception of you will be far from who you truly are. If you come from one country or another, try to name another country as where you come from. 
see how people will relate with you, friend. <laughs> Friends, this is a big deal of what we are discussing. Because like I've said to you before, we want to be an inclusive community. But the way to be inclusive is to know who you are yourself. And to be able to, on that basis, know who the other is. And to re relate with them on such a basis that is beautiful. Understanding the uniqueness of every human being. Friends, what I wanted to begin to build in your heart is that the color of your skin, the height that you have, the size of your body, having maintained all principles of keeping fit, controlling your feet and that you don't eat outrageously, eating terribly late in the night, having observed all the nursery rules, how your body shape looks, is a perfect idea of how God has shaped you to be. And there is a purpose behind that. The greatest message I want to share with you today is, each day you discover your true self, love yourself the more. Celebrate that discovery the more. And be very excited. When you encounter somebody who is revealing his self-identity, as you celebrate yourself, celebrate that person. That is what the Lord wants you to do. And friends, bow your hearts in prayer with me right now. Are you one that is here listening to me by whatever means, through Facebook, or any other means of social media? And you feel terrible, perhaps you hold a grudge against God for not making you somebody else. You feel angry with God that you were born in the family you were born in, that you come from that country you come from, that your journey in life has been so terrible and God has been unfair to you. And for that reason, you cannot give your whole self to him. Are you bitter with somebody, bitter with your mother, with your father, with your parents, with your aunt, with whoever raised you? Are you bitter against a colleague in the office? Or perhaps you're bitter against even your pastor or somebody close to you? My beloved friend, I want you to calm down. Your journey may have been rugged. I don't intend to make light of it. But in all of that, through it all, there is a divine purpose. Perhaps there was a lesson you needed to have learned that has made you a better person. Perhaps there was an experience you needed to go through. And when you meet somebody going through a similar experience, you will be able to minister more effectively. When I had a motor vehicle accident, and I was bedridden for a while, and you know what that goes. My mother carried me like a baby in her arms, a grown-up man who was at the peak of his ministry with a wife and children. My mother would still carry me as a baby, and I cried. I said, Mommy, why do you carry me as a baby? She said, you are my child, and now you cannot walk. I have to hold you. I wept them all. And then I began to use crutches. I began to learn how to rise up from the bed, how to use crutches. I looked at my son's legs as he was running around. Then he was about four years old. Oh, I said, Lord, I wish my legs were like my son's legs. Friends, 
but I learned from it. When I saw people with crutches, I could understand what they were going through. When I pastored and visited members in hospitals who had bone injuries, I could sit by them and hold their hands and tell them how I experienced it and how they may be experiencing it. It was a powerful way of ministering to the people of God. Are we required to go through what everybody has to go through to be able to reach out to them effectively? By no means. That's not what I mean. I'm saying that there are some experiences of life that are meant to make us become better people. When I came out of the hospital and began to learn how to walk and began to walk very effectively, if I'm driving and people are crossing the streets, I will slow very down and will not hoot at anybody until they take their time and cross the road. I felt disappointed if a driver would just drive through the streets and hoot at people and harass people because they were not walking across the streets fast. It is not always true that whoever you find taking a walk or crossing the street because you never saw the person with a car, the person does not have a car. And so it's a privilege for you, a car driver, a car owner, to wait for the person to cross the road. It is never true. Man, know thyself. And celebrate your true essence in the glory of God and in humility. But open your heart to know who else has discovered self. And celebrate that revelation with a sense of wonder, humility, and appreciation to the God of wonders who has created us in very unique ways. Father, I bless you for your word in the hearts of your people. Everyone that is to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray for that one right now. And friend, you may pray this prayer with me, Lord Jesus. You died for me. Have mercy upon me. I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior right now. Forgive all my sins and Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Use me for your purpose. For everyone that has a grudge against God, lay forth your grudge aside. Mighty God, bring healing to the hearts of your people. All that have been disgruntled by the affairs of life. All that have felt underprivileged, all that have felt denied, all that lost their youthfulness, they lost their childhoodness. Lord, I pray your mercy upon them, that they may wonder and marvel at your wisdom and open their hearts to what you want to do still in their lives. To you alone be the glory because of answered our prayers. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen.